I didn't realize how good I had it up in, in Northern California where things were starting to like become a lot more progressive in the juicing industry. And that's when I started thinking it'd be super cool to start a juice bar down here. Since I'm surrounded by all this amazing produce, it could be really neat. And so that is actually how it started was I just was missing my juice fix. All right, food their podcast. Gonna talk real fast, spitting food facts while we be no Relax, how to use that salt, what it means to brew with malt. If you need a new food pack, yeah, one that leaves an impact. Tune into Food Tune into Food, Food, Food. Tune into Food Tune into Food, Food. We got the Food Splainer podcast, gonna talk real fast, spitting food facts while we be no It is my pleasure to introduce to you the lovely Arlie Rose, a strong and independent friend of mine I've known for nearly a decade. Arlie is the founder and owner of Juice Wave in San Diego. And Juice Wave is a woman-owned juicery that specializes in not only cold-pressed juice, cold-pressed shots, almond milks, and acai bowls, but takes a deep emphasis in sourcing high-quality produce from farmers that Arlie has a personal relationship with. Arlie also has become a sustainable business because she values the earth that our food comes from. So, Arlie, thank you so much for being a guest. I am ecstatic to have you on. (laughs) Me too. This is great. Have you done a podcast before? I have, yeah. They're really fun. Yeah, it's crazy how things are changing and now we prefer to listen instead of watch. Yes, that is true. So we should probably tell our listeners how we know each other, huh? <laughs> yeah. I can't <laughs> well, believe a decade has gone by. I know. I know. It's crazy. It's been it's been about eight and a half years, but that's closer to a decade than not. But still, it's insane. <laughs> it's insane. It is. And so Arlie and I met in culinary school, and we just clicked right away. We weren't in the same program or anything, but... We just found we had a lot of similarities and I could tell she was driven and had big goals like I did. So we just kept in touch ever since. Yeah. Also, I do remember that you and I both participated in the the same cooking competitions. Wait a second. ProStart. Oh, shoot. I forgot. You did (laughs) ProStart. Yeah. Crazy. And I think that your team or your school went all the way and won first first place, right? Yeah, we did. We won first in the nation, which was still, like I've done a lot of cool things that I'm proud of since then, but I honestly still have to say that that was one of the best moments of my life. Definitely. Because it's something that, you know, we, my team worked so hard for, and I, you know, I remember just wanting it so bad. And when you want something so bad and you are practicing every single day and, you know, you're dreaming about it. I mean, I can't remember how many times I dreamt about it, 
but I just wanted to stand first place on stage in front of the entire nation. And when it happened, dude, (laughs) (laughs) it's a feeling that it never goes away. And over a decade, and I start to think, oh, it's not really a big deal. But you know, it's part of the reason why I went to culinary school. Like it's the reason I went to culinary school, actually. So I credit my entire journey to the ProStart program. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a great program. So that's awesome. I totally forgot. What? So you were in Maryland? Wait, Massachusetts? No, Maryland, right? Maryland, yeah. Okay, cool. Baltimore, that's crazy. That's where nationals were. Oh, yeah. For for the year that you competed, I think we may have been a couple years off. That's insane. Yeah. (laughs) I'm glad you remembered that. It's crazy. Yeah. So good times. I know. So Arlie, obviously, we're here to highlight the respectable juicery you've built. But I want to talk about your story a little bit. Like, how did you get into the food industry? Did you always enjoy food? Did you think that you would study food? Or was it one of those things where you were studying something else? And you're like, oh my gosh, like, if I don't try this, I'm going to regret it forever. (laughs) Actually, I do have um, a pretty like specific story when I decided that food was the path I wanted to take. And um, it's a cool story. It was when I was about 12 years old. Um, I have uh, two older brothers and they both worked at this um, barbecue catering company back in Maryland. Mm -hmm. And when I turned 12, I was just itching to get a summer job. (laughs) And they worked there and I thought they were so cool working at this place. (laughs) And getting to hear all their fun stories every day. They came home from work. So when I was 12, I, I asked if I could start working there as I was so excited about it. And granted, I had no idea what I was about to get myself into. I just wanted to be just like my big brothers, you know? Right. And how many uh, brothers do you have? Uh, two older brothers. Okay. And um, so my, my brother who's in the middle, who's um, just four years older than me, he, uh, kind of took me under his wing my very first day and uh barbecue catering it it can get kind of intense you're you're outside you got to set everything up you know you got a hundred or so people come into a typical barbecue picnic and it's all about you know beginning to end what it takes to get an event like that going and um i had no clue (laughs) what i was doing (laughs) I just knew I wanted to, you know, just make money. And uh, my brother took me on his first uh, or my first day, and it was just a typical picnic. And for about a hundred people, we we would have like four people working the event, you know, two people manning the food, and two other people maybe setting up with the tables and chairs and other things like that. And so my brother and I would get up super super early in the morning, like. I'm talking 6 a.m. for like a 12-year-old. That was that was a lot. <laughs> That's super early. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so we head out to the barn where we have to load up our truck for the day. And so then we had to drive out to the event. And the event was at a middle school. So when we pulled up, we kind of took over the uh, playground area where there's a big field. So we could have a lot of people come and sit and you know eat all the food and my brother looks at me as we approach the school and he says I just got a call it looks like you know so and so is not going to make it today so we're going to be 
down a guy. That means I need you to help me. So I need you to step up today. And I looked at my brother and I said, I'm ready, you know, oh, put me no. in coach. <laughs> and, did uh, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, first day he asked me if I could help him cook the food and I thought, yeah, mm -hmm. sure. Uh, so with, with the type of setup we had, it was really classic barbecue. So we had these big, um, uh, pits that were made out of like half barrels. We loaded them up with charcoal, lit them on fire, and then put these metal grids on top of them. And then we would throw, you know, burgers, hot dogs, uh, chicken ribs on on there and pretty much cook the food like that. It was really cool. Uh, so, so yeah, my brother put me on ha hamburgers and hot dog duty. <laughs> and um, I didn't know what to do. So he, he gave me these like special gloves where you can kind of touch the food and it's not going to burn you. And so I was able to like move the hot dogs up and down this grid, you know, and cook them evenly and then flip the hamburgers. And it was so cool. And like, I did that and it was just a rush of cooking, you know? Totally. Like when you're on the line and you realize that like nothing else in the world is happening, it's yeah. just you and the food in front of you and, you know, the tickets on the board. It's crazy. Absolutely. And then just that, that rush of trying to get it, you know, on time. Because right. you, know, you have a timeline right. and you need to get the food ready, hot, perfect, out there for the customer. So we did it. We, we made it through. And um, at the end of the day, the cleanup, that's a whole nother process, you know. So it was a long first day. I think we got back to the barn probably around 4.30 in the afternoon and then didn't leave until about 6, 7 o'clock at night. So that was a long day of work. And um, I remember sitting in the car. Uh, heading back home with my brother and I'm like finally sitting <laughs> down you know for the first time yeah totally and uh, I can feel my my feet tingling you know and um, I've got I've got like black soot all over my arms my uh, my arm hair on my knuckles are just already singed, singed. off <laughs> and uh, I just had like this outline of black you know set around my face because I was over the fires all day you've been working in the coal mine huh literally yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> and uh, my brother you know asked me you know how what'd you think how'd you like how'd you do your first day like what'd you what'd you think of it and I looked at him and I said it was good. I'm really tired though. <laughs> oh my and, gosh. And my brother laughs and he says, yeah, but think about all those people today who ate the food that you cooked for them. Aww. And so at that point, I just, we kind of just were silent the rest of their way home. And I just thought to myself, yeah, that was really cool. I want to do that for the rest what? of my life. <laughs> what a cool thing for your brother to say in that moment. That was the defining moment for you to take you from just, you know, being in the weeds and, and, and being on your feet and running around like a chicken with your head cut off all day to being in the car with your brother driving home after a very long, hard day and realizing that was the path you wanted to take. Yeah. And that's, that is what, so that's cool. where it started. Mm -hmm. That is so cool. And you know, it's crazy how our family and our loved ones have that influence on us. Like sometimes they don't even know what they're doing or saying is making a defining moment in our life for us, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. So that's super cool. What do you think 
brought you to having an extremely high work ethic and high attention to detail? Because I know for sure that Arlie, you your resume is very impressive. You've worked in prestigious restaurants, and those places are intense. They are、mm-hmm. very intense, and they're not for everyone, and they require a lot from you mentally,、mm-hmm. physically. What do you think brought you to the point where you're like, you know what? I need this standard held accountable in the kitchen every single day. Yeah, absolutely.、Um, I would say throughout my life there have been moments that have just shaped my work ethic. I don't think it was just one thing. I think over time, it's all the different chefs I worked for. It's my、uh, my family's work ethic. I think it has to do with a lot of that, and、um, I just know working at that catering company as my first job. My brother used to say to me, "If you're standing still, then that means you need to go find who's in charge and ask、yep. them what needs to be done." Yep.、Like, do not sit still. Keep moving. You have time to lean. You have time to clean. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So,、um, and I, I would say that for sure was a really big building block, but also I like. Am determined to be perfect. Oh gosh, girl! <laughs> so as <laughs> as we as a lot of people do, yeah. So、um, I think that too is just my personal motivation to just I can be better. You know, I, I know it, the next day I can be better. You know, it, it. I think it's like a blessing and a curse because <laughs> you know it, it's not possible to be perfect, but what is possible is being better the next day than you were the day before. First of all, you used to work at Quince, which、mm-hmm. is now a three Michelin star restaurant. For those who are listening, if you don't know what Michelin means, it is a very prestigious rating for restaurants beyond just the five star rating that you're familiar with. It's an honor to have even one Michelin star, and you can only get three. So Quince is a three Michelin star restaurant, and Arlie worked there, and. There was one story you told me, Arlie, when one of the chefs asked you to go grab a case of onions, and <laughs> you had a realization. And I just kind of want you to talk to our audience what that realization was. Yeah,、um, I mean, it, it happened at Quince. It happened at just about every restaurant I, I worked at. When you know you get these amazing. Produce or products that you needed to start working with, and I just always in my head thought, you know, where did this come from? Where did all this food originate, and who grew it? Who、mm-hmm. took the time to prepare it in order to for us to have the honor, you know, the privilege to get to cook with it? And that always stuck with me. So Arlie, you know, I totally agree with you. I've had the same realization myself working in restaurants. Especially fine dining restaurants, where you know you are, you're you're plating these beautiful dishes, but the waste of the produce is insurmountable. You're just like, holy heck, I'm using lemons just for you know the pith, or I'm using lemons just for the peel. Really, you don't you don't even need this lemon juice, you know? Or, I mean, I have a wild stories, and I'm not gonna throw any restaurant under the bus. But it's just one of those things that makes you think, 
you stop and you think. I remember doing a stage at a restaurant in New York City and I, I'm asking the cook next to me, very serious, very pristine, very like keep her head down, very military-like uh, you know, environment. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm not going to throw half of this you know, vegetable in the trash. Um, I asked the cook next to me, I'm like, hey, do you guys have, do you have compost? And he just laughs at me. He goes, ha, he goes, you're not in Vermont anymore. He's like, toss it in the trash. I'm like, oh my gosh. And it really just struck me. And that moment will stay with me forever because there, there is so much waste in restaurants. It is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And the many moments that, that chefs have asked you to go grab a case of this or a case of that, you just sit there wondering like, what in the world is, where did this come from and how did it get here and, and why? So, I mean, would you say that that is the defining moment that sparked your curiosity to dive deeper into where our produce comes from? Yeah, I think that the ongoing question of, you know, where is this from? Who grew it? How did it get here? Um, That's why after, um, well, that's why when we were in culinary school, you know, part of our program was to find a restaurant or a hotel or whatever you wanted to go work at. Um, I remember specifically Google searching best farm to table restaurants, because that was what I was most passionate about, and still am to this day. So when I searched that, uh, I found a ton of restaurants, great restaurants, and then it really came down to narrowing where, what region I wanted to be in. And I, I chose Northern California. So, uh, you know, going there and getting massage at some restaurants, it was just an amazing experience. And, and then getting to see where the, the chef has such a passion for farm to table as well. And that's what I wanted to learn more about is, is, you know, what truly makes a restaurant stand out when they say farm to table. And, and that really um, started for me this deeper understanding of actually physically going to the farmer's market or even the farm itself and having a relationship with the farmer and, you know, looking at their hands and seeing how much work that they put into the, their livelihood and and just getting to see what they produce and it's beautiful and that's really what I hope to just share with everyone. I think that is the best part about how we can connect to food is knowing um, how it's being grown and, and being taken care of. Right. You know, Arlie, it's our farmers who are the true heroes. Yes. I believe in that. You know, mm-hmm. without our farmers, we wouldn't have anything. We wouldn't have any food. We wouldn't have, you know, there would be no grocery stores. And it's just something that people completely forget about. When people think about farmers, they're like, oh, hillbilly farmers. Oh, they got some cattle over there. Like, <laughs> it's not like that at all. Mm-hmm. And and because I know that was my perception when I was younger. But, you know, I was ignorant and didn't know anything. And I'm just glad that you had those epiphanies and that you've always kind of supported farm to table. And that brings me to another topic. Uh, There's something that 
you actually taught me. It's called WOOF. And that mm-hmm. stands for Worldwide Opportunities of Organic Farming, correct? Yes. So can you explain what that is? Yeah, I mean, it's an awesome program. It is really neat. So basically, if you wanted to go travel and not have to worry so much about where you were going to stay or spend money on that whole lodging experience, you could contact these farms Uh, these host farms and ask them, you know, can I come uh, work on your farm? And in exchange, they will give you a place to stay. And typically, you know, these farms, it's just they're, you know, a working farm. So while you're working, there's going to be food that you can also uh, eat and there'll be food that they can prepare too for you. So it's this really neat uh, work trade where you're going out there, you're learning from the farm, you know, it could be any kind of farm. I mean, you could, and it's great because it's worldwide. So you could go to Argentina, you could go to Spain, you could go to Australia, um, anywhere in the U S I mean, it's so neat, uh, what, what they've created. That's so cool. So you, left Quince, right? And Mm -hmm. is that when you joined Wolf? Yeah, it's actually a really cool story. Um, A friend of ours from culinary school was the one who suggested that I might be into Wolf. And so I had done a little research, but I was, you know, I was working and I was, you know, every day working in the kitchen, you kind of forget about stuff like that. So uh, finally, when I was ready to make a change in my life, I looked it up and the headquarters of Wolf USA was right there in the same city that I was living in, San Francisco. No way. <laughs> so I decided on my day off to go bike over to the office, introduce myself and ask about some farms that I had noticed on their website and get some more information. So I remember that day I rode my bike there and I walked in and it was a hill. So I was definitely winded when I walked in and uh, they, you know, they were, it was these two sweet, sweet ladies. They, they welcomed me in. I sat down, they let me catch my breath. And I basically said like, Hey, I'm looking to uh, wolf on this farm down in San Diego Um, this is the farmer's name. Can you guys give me some information? And they literally said, oh, we love him. You'll love him. Let us give you his number. We'll get you in touch with him as soon as possible. So it was kind of like meant to be. Meant to be. Oh, girl, jinx. That was was totally meant to be. Absolutely. I'm happy for you because it is incredibly like serendipitous when things like that happen and you Mm -hmm. just... It hits your soul and you're like, oh my gosh, I know I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Oh yeah, definitely. So like during your experience at Wolf, did you, I I don't know, did working with fresh vegetables straight from the soil that you picked with your very own hands and when you started getting soil underneath your fingernails and like those, you know, cracks in your hands, is that what inspired you to create a concept that would highlight that produce? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, you said it exactly that. Like when that soil gets into your fingernails, it's like, it's ancestral. Like you can feel 
that this is where you are meant to be. <laughs> it's so beautiful. I love it. Um, I don't know. I got some farming genes. I've just found out back in my family too, going back. So I think it's definitely in our blood that we were meant. They were um, uh, dairy farmers. Oh, is it is it real denim? <laughs> Probably, probably. Um, but yeah, sorry. I I think it's so cool. Like, I I think it's something that's really special in that we were meant to give back to the earth. And when we are connected with soil, I think that there's a special bond. And you can tell, I mean, I could tell with certain farmers who I've met and their, you know, energy that they give off, you can taste it in their produce. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Incredible. So yeah, actually, it's kind of neat. The way that Juice Wave kind of evolved was uh, before I worked on the farm down here in San Diego, I was actually um, working at Quince with all this amazing produce and over our um, or for our 30 minute break you know our our family meal as you would say you know because in the restaurant at that kind of level we get 30 minutes and we typically took that right before service would start and that was our time to eat really quick or kind of just get ready for the night because once service starts you know how it is oh yeah you can't stop it's going all the way through (laughs) girl we didn't even get that 30 minutes (laughs) yeah so, so anyways, um, our family meal usually consisted of a lot of uh, pasta and things like that. Things that were just kind of quick and easy that someone could put together for everyone. Right. And I, um, I had this one, one day I just thought, you know, I'm going to go down the street and grab a coffee really quick, uh, this little coffee shop. And I walked in and I noticed that there was this pop-up juice stand going on in the coffee shop. And it was so cool. It was like about, I'd say four fridges, tall, uh, reaching fridges. And they had just stocked of juice. I mean, talk about just the colors of the rainbow. It was beautiful. Cool. And I hadn't really known much about juicing. This was kind of my first, you know, um, experience. And the lady was super awesome. Just kind of told me what the juices were and what they did and what, what had what in it. And I just thought, you know, this would be a really cool way to get my veggies because I'm not eating that healthy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, you can, I'm sure, uh, agree with uh, the restaurant lifestyle. No, it um, is not the healthiest. Healthy girl. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So this was cool. I felt like I had a great way to balance out my diet. And so I would grab a couple juices, slam them right before service and... I felt great. I mean, it was incredible. And so then I started doing it almost every day. And then I started getting other cooks in on it. And then before you know it, chef was giving me an order to bring back for him. (laughs) Dude, that's dope. It was really cool. Dang, how did you even afford that, girl? Like, Oh, yeah. I mean, that was... That's tight. I would use it as a meal replacement. Okay, okay. Because I know one thing, girl. When you're working in the restaurant especially around the times we were, you're not getting paid enough to be getting fresh juice every day. No, but I I mean, you're at the restaurant all day long. I wasn't spending a lot of money on meals because I was, I felt like I was at the restaurant all day. You weren't going out to the spa and getting your nails done. (laughs) I should have. (laughs) It could have helped. I know, right? But, um, But yeah, so anyways, um, 
I was doing that pretty uh, religiously. And then even on my days off, I'd kind of walk around my neighborhood and find these cute little juice bars. And there was one right around the corner from my, uh, my apartment. And I loved it. It was um, a walk-up window and they had a big juicer in there and they had like a whole menu of all these crazy combinations and it was simple two sizes and that's kind of where i went to get my juice fix and we're also talking this is about eight nine years ago so this was just when juice was kind of starting to get into the fad into the trendy you know world and uh when i had moved down to San Diego to work on this farm uh, with Wolf. I was working on the farm, you know, around all these amazing, beautiful veggies. And I started thinking, man, I could really go for a juice right now. And that's when I looked up on my phone anywhere nearby and there really wasn't anything. And it kind of made me think, wow, I really, I didn't realize how good I had it up in, in Northern California where things were starting to like become a lot more progressive in the juicing industry. And that's when I started thinking it'd be super cool to start a juice bar down here since I'm surrounded by all this amazing produce, it could be really neat. And so that is actually how it started was I just was missing my juice fix. <laughs> That's, that's a cool story, Arlie. You know, so basically you're saying you got into this juice fit and every day, you know, hard restaurant life, your body needs the vitamins, minerals, and nutrients, and you get your whole team on onto it. And, and then you're in a location that doesn't have that, that juice fix around the corner anymore. So you found that void and you saw an opportunity. That's yep. what you saw. Oh, yeah. And I'm finding, you know, a very similar occurrence in many entrepreneurs' um, stories that a lot of times the products they choose or the, the concepts they choose is from actually finding a void in something that they're looking for and they can't find it. Mm -hmm. And so- yeah, we figure we'll do it ourselves. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, I don't know if you're like, I know you're like me, but I don't know if, how often you think this, but- I'm kind of that person, unfortunately, that's like, I want to do everything myself because I could pay someone to do it, but I'm like, I don't know if they're going to do it as good as me. And, you know, that saying, if you're going to do something right, you might as well do it yourself. I'm glad that you just took the leap of faith and that you went for it. And it was a crazy journey of yours that started in a food truck, right? It did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. And you've been in business since 2014. Mm -hmm. That's when I started Dude. the food truck. <laughs> that is seriously amazing. Like I hope you feel accomplished because to have a, a business, a small independent business like that, especially with juice, which I'm sure the profit margin is low because produce is expensive as it is. Yeah, I mean, it definitely um, is tough sometimes when you get customers who don't understand that and ask, you know, or make, make comments about how expensive it is. And I have learned over the years that there are just some people who don't understand how much it costs to buy produce. And they're expecting 
you know, from what they have experienced could, that could have been at other juice bars that maybe aren't using the top, like the, the best quality produce and uh, organic for that matter, because right. um, with that is going to make things a lot more expensive. And on top of that, even the behind the scenes, the paper products right. also cost money. I mean, it's things that people don't realize uh, that add up. And that's why I think the juicing industry does have a bad rep for having such expensive prices for, for the juice. I got, I got to be honest, Arlie. I think a lot of it also has to do that people do not understand the industry. You know, they don't, they don't know what food cost is. They don't know yeah. that that dish that they get, that juice that they buy, it is costed out per penny to understand how much money you're spending, how much money you can charge without it being outrageous or being ripped off. Mm-hmm. And then you have that small profit margin. And that's where juice is tricky. Fruit and vegetables, are, especially as you said, organic, are already ex- as expensive as they are. And then you think about juicing, it's going to take way more fruits and veggies to fill an entire 12 to 16 ounce cup Mm -hmm. than it is to just like eat it straight, you know? And, Mm -hmm. and then that's where that price comes from. So if you love juice or let's say you don't like juice and you're listening to this podcast because it's so expensive and it's not worth it. Yeah. And what I, what I tell people is, uh, would you rather pay now or pay later? Because when you you drink juice and when you focus on your health, even though it's a little bit more expensive to put money into that right now, it is an investment into your body. And later down the road, you're not having to, you know, face an issue where now you're going to have to spend a lot of money to fix it. Whereas I try to express that drinking juice is such a great way to prevent a lot of health issues. Oh, I mean, totally. I see it every day. People with all sorts of problems come in. When it, I mean, anything from, you know, constipation. I mean, a lot of people come here to San Diego vacation time, and when you're on vacation, you eat whatever you want. <laughs> and so, exactly. uh, a lot of times, people walk in and they're like, "I need to go to the bathroom. Can, do you have something for me?" Um, or you know, even from that to cancer patients a lot of cancer patients will come in and ask me hey can can you make me a juice that has low sugar i, I need i need to have some you know large doses of, of uh, nutrient dense juice but no sugar and like i have that you know there's so many different juices i have that cater to different uh, you know health benefits that, that are going to be good for you so that is so cool arlie yeah, of course. I mean, that's the beauty of it. And that's also something that I didn't I'd go to school for. But it's definitely, I'm, a, I'm self-taught with the nutrition side of it. And it's fascinating. I mean, food heals. There is no doubt about it. Food is and medicine, 100%, 100%. Yeah, and when you put the right kind of food in your body, I mean, there's no, there's no doubt you are going to feel amazing. And that was why I was on the farm you know, harvesting kale and chard that day, thinking to myself, man, I need a juice. Like my body is craving those nutrients. And that's what happens. And I try to tell people too, like you start drinking juice, you may not feel effects right away because your body's starting to adjust. Get rid of those toxins and all that. Exactly. Yeah. 
But then if you continually, you know, drink juice and stay healthy, it's when you stop. That's when your body is going to like send an alarm off and say, hey, what happened to all that yummy nutrient dense juice that you were giving me? So, I mean, that anything, you, you want to have good habits. So Arlie, the sugars, the natural sugars that come from fruit, it's called fructose. Mm-hmm. Would you say that that sugar is bad for you? Or is there is there a limit every day of how much fructose you can take? Because obviously fruits and vegetables are good for you. But I look at, on the back of Naked's, the juice at, you know, in the grocery store, and mm-hmm. it says 45 grams of sugar, but it says zero grams of added sugar. So it makes me just really think like, is there really 45 grams of natural sugar in, in these juices? And is that like healthy to be drinking? Or is it different type of sugar that your body processes differently because it is natural and not added processed sugar? Yes, correct. I, I mean, obviously, you don't want someone adding cane sugar to your juice. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. The, the fruits do hold a lot of sugar content. Um, that's why you just have to be conscious of when you're drinking juice, you don't want to be drinking like an apple, strawberry juice. That's like all fruit, like apples help the juice taste good, but at the same time, you don't want too much because your body will kind of have this sugar spike and then you'll kind of have a really tough come down from that. So, uh, especially when I give juice cleanses out, which is, a juice cleanse is when you are drinking just juice, no f- solid food at all. Uh, that's when you have to be careful because the amount of sugar that you consume on an empty stomach, that's going to be a shock to the system. So I have uh, some juices that have you know, no apple or no fruit at all, and they are a little bit you know, bitter or strong in taste, as some would say. Uh, but that's also just an acquired taste over time. You know, your taste buds change every seven days. So if you can wean yourself off sugar or things like that, then your body's not going to create They adapt. They adapt. Yep. Yeah. I mean, with the sugar content, you do have to kind of make sure you're not drinking beet juice every single day. I mean, I like to have it once every couple of days. You know what I mean? Just balance. Yeah, I totally get that. I don't really have a big sweet tooth. And whenever I go a couple of days without like super high sugar in my diet, and then I go and I have something super sweet, it's like overload. It's like, oh my gosh, like that is, how do people eat that on a regular basis? It's so sweet. Mm-hmm. So that's just something people don't realize. Like your, your taste buds adapt and they change. So you don't want to overdo the sugar, the natural fructose. You want to go and get those vegetable forward juices that may seem bitter it's going to fluctuate. Your body will be able to tolerate that bitter juice, but that's, that's the juice that's like really good for your body. Is it like detox juice, Arlie? Yeah. The juices, um, all, like I said, uh, kind of benefit different things for you. So, uh, beets are really good for detoxing your liver. Um, it's just great for overall blood circulation. Um, it, it helps kind of pump more blood to your heart, which will ultimately give you better stamina, better endurance, things like that. Um, Celery juice. uh, Celery juice is 
absolutely phenomenal. Um, and just a quick side note, speaking earlier about costs, food costs, celery and all the produce, it fluctuates. Really? Not only, oh yeah, the prices fluctuate not only due to the season and the um, availability, but what's trending. Oh dang. I kid you not, Erica. Once Kim Kardashian. Hey, this is Kim Kardashian. You know what time it is? It's party time. And the medical medium. <laughs> medical posted, medium. I was going to mention him. Yeah. Once they posted about celery juice, I Dude. swear to you, Erica, Dude. the celery costs went skyrocketing. I couldn't believe it. I like even my food distributors looked at me and were in shock. I mean, it's nuts when that happened. because. Arlie. Oh yeah. my gosh. You know what? My mom and I, we talked about the same thing. We, you know, we both follow medical medium. I guess he is the original inventor of celery juice cleanse. But, you know, I was actually just watching a video of his earlier today. So it's funny we're bringing him up. My mom and I, we actually tried celery juice. We're like, you know what? Like all these people are doing it. All the comments are insane saying, oh my gosh, it like, you know, I don't have any more pains in my gut. It healed my acne. It did this and that. So my mom and I are like, well, we'll try it. So we go to our grocery store and there is no celery on the shelves at all. Nothing. Everything had been taken. And we're like, oh my goodness. Not once have we ever tried to buy celery and it was sold out. And so, like, I understand where you're coming from. Like, it's not something you think of, but trends definitely influence the price of produce. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, Arlie, let's groove back into uh, your journey here. What made you want to turn this food truck that you started in 2014 into a brick and mortar? Was that always your goal in the first place? Or, or was it just kind of like an opportunity presented itself? Um, the, the second, actually. So... I had the food truck and, you know, I was not quite sure what I was doing. I was flying by the seat of my pants, literally, (laughs) and (laughs) just trying to figure it out here in San Diego. um, You know, every city is different. All the regulations in every county fluctuate. And San Diego started to implement stricter uh, policies and rules and regulations with food trucks which made it harder to just go wherever I wanted to. I had to be uh, more specific on which events I could go to because sometimes permits were required and I didn't want to spend the money for those Mm -hmm. permits if I wasn't guaranteed a certain amount of money at those events. Um, and And even these events would charge me to go there, you know? So the food truck was, was definitely a tough business Uh, It was really fun and very um, eye-opening to the business world. And it was a lot of thinking on your feet on what to do when a crisis happens. And uh, a lot of those happened. Oh, Lord, I know it. Yeah, I would say the food truck was a phenomenal experience. But I am very happy to be in a brick and mortar. And the one thing that is lost when you have a stable shop is just that mobility. But the best part is I have a place where people know where to find me right? and, and can count on me and know that I'm, I will be open. I will be there. 
you know, my truck's not going to break down and I, I can't open kind of thing. Exactly. So, yeah. I mean, the truck was fun. I got to go all over San Diego, all over Southern California. And I got to do some really, really neat events and meet a lot of wonderful people. And, you know, those moments and those experiences I will always cherish and carry with me. And it's great when people will come into my shop and say, I remember the food truck, you know, that's oh, so that cool. Oh, that is cool. That is yeah. cool. Yeah. And so, you know, um, the food truck was a great way to get started, but I think the brick and mortar is so nice to have a stable location. It's like a home. It's like you're going home, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so do you have regulars that actually like were regulars at the, at the juice wave food truck and then they kind of now see you at um your storefront in san diego yeah i mean to be honest with you i'm not sure if i have any regulars from the food truck days i might have maybe one or two uh because i was always mobile with the food truck uh i was all over the place whereas right now i'm located in mission beach so when the food truck was the closest to Mission Beach, I would say that would be in our beach town just north of us. So there's a couple customers who would remember me from back in like the farmer's market days. But other than that, I've really established a, a wonderful community here in Mission Beach. And since the day I opened my doors, I have uh, customers who still come back. From, that's awesome. Day one. Yeah, that's super special. And I really think you're in like the perfect area for that. You know, people in Cali who are beachside are probably a little bit more into their health and a little bit more into, you know, doing what's right for their body. So I think that that definitely helps your case. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of people here who are educated to know what's healthy. And also what's really important too, I think out here on the West Coast is the support for small businesses. I think that sometimes growing up in neighborhoods where there's just a lot of large corporations around you, you don't consider a small mom and pop shop. I mean, I didn't growing up where I went, I was until, you know, being more acclimated to the, the small pockets of California, you start to see a lot of these individuals and families that started something and it's it's so cool to be a part of that and that's I think the beauty of also living in USA <laughs> so it's so cool to, to support small shop owners I mean right here on the strip in Mission Beach where where my shop is just about every restaurant and retail shop is small like individually owned totally and that's, that's I love so that cool. like I think we just have one Starbucks totally. on our on our mile radius here. And I think that's that's important. You know, just like back in Vermont, Erica, when we were at school, like in Montpelier. Yes, yes. There was not one dude McDonald's, there was nothing. No. Actually, Vermont, just because you said it, is still <laughs> the only capital that does not have a mcdonald's in it in the whole united yeah, states yeah that's pretty badass but it is cool but no seriously arlie you make a great point there was no business that i had heard of aside from td bank on the corner <laughs> uh that wasn't independently owned do you remember any oh man i mean maybe like a bookshop here and there you know but i but it wasn't something that i'm i like had in my head of let's go support this bookshop because they're a small business. You know what I mean? I think that's yeah. become more of a trend 
over the last, you know, 15 years, more so than ever, I think. No, I agree. I, I love I love that lifestyle. And, you know, unfortunately, the lifestyle of supporting nothing but local businesses can be pretty costly. It's like that double negative. It's like, you know, you want to, but, you know, you can't always afford to. So it's easier to just do what's convenient. And then we get in the cycle and then it gives more money to the big dogs and less money to the independently owned businesses. And then the smaller businesses can't grow and they remain expensive because they're not growing. I don't know. Do you have any like suggestion as to how we can get away from that or how we can try to help support our local businesses so that, you know, we can start to change the way things are? Yeah. I mean, that's so interesting that you brought that up because I was just about to comment on, you know, a lot of times people walk in and I'm sure this might also be a question that you're planning on asking too was, uh, what's the next step for Juice Wave? You know, what, where do you see it going? And at one yeah, point, let's just get it over with. <laughs> at, no, I mean, at one point, I thought the next step for me was to get my juice in grocery stores. What better way to get my product totally. more accessible and more conveniently, you know, um, available for people all over the county, all over the state, all over the country, right? That's when you think totally. real big. Yeah. And I know of a handful of companies that are at that level and it is an entirely different game. It's a different ballpark. It's a different mindset. And I just kind of dabbled a little bit in it, you know, just kind of touched the water with my toes to figure out if it was the kind of temperature I wanted to jump into. And the more I, yeah, the more I started to learn more about the industry, I just realized like, this isn't the way I want to go. I, right. Not not saying it's a sellout kind of moment, but I didn't want to jeopardize or sacrifice my, you know, my main goal, my product, my flavor, everything I put into it, my heart and soul. I think if you jump up to that level to try to make it more conveniently accessible, that's when you have to sacrifice something. And typically it's going to be the product. And I I totally agree with you. And so just to kind of piggyback onto your, your question earlier, you know, how do we help people, you know, adjust and not rely on what's convenient? That's hard. I mean, we live in a society where we have food everywhere and it can be delivered to our door (laughs) in a matter of a couple clicks on your phone. So I think that if we just are more aware of that and we realize that taking maybe the extra 15, 20 minutes to get in your car or to bike or to walk down the street to this place to order food or buy directly from the, the person making it for you, rather than, you know, going to a bigger department store or grocery store to get stuff that is just kind of made really quick and thrown together just to have it there for you. Um, I don't know. I mean, to each his own again, but I think that if there are certain foods that you like to eat, then maybe see if there's a farmer's market that you could go support a farmer who's growing it like themselves. 
instead of going to the grocery store and just picking it off the, the counter because, you know, yes, it's easily accessible, but you don't know how, how many steps it got, it had to take to get there. And when you go up to a farmer and look at them and ask them, you know, is your produce, you know, grown right by you? And they say, yes. I mean, think about all the pride that goes behind that and the love and the energy that goes into it. I think you just have to be able to just be more aware. I think that's just going to take time. Mm -hmm. People are on their own spectrum of Mm -hmm. what's uh, easy for them. And, but I think, uh, I think that we just have to help educate and let people know. A lot of times people say to me, what, what can I do to support the farmers? And I say, you know, buy their CSA or, you know, try to visit them weekly at their markets because, you know, they struggle as much as we struggle. Right. And if we just all pay it back to them and, and try to, you know, pay it forward to the farmers, I think that it'll just be a continuous cycle of feeding everyone with the good stuff. And to those who are listening, I just, you know, Arlie and I both and many other people around the world encourage you to please go to farmers markets, you know, go to local grocery stores that have local produce in it. Mm -hmm. Do a simple Google search on your phone and look up a farm from a vegetable at a grocery store you've never heard of. And hey, it's probably like 10 to 20 miles away from you. It's it's a small family, a small farm that you probably could be helping. And they're just trying to help us, you know, and it's this cycle. I mean, just do what you can. I understand we live in a world of convenience, but we can be better than that. Climate change is is happening and every single decision we make on a daily basis is contributing to that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just trying to be more aware and and learn it as much as you can about your your local farmers, for sure. Arlie, something you and I see eye to eye on is that cooking should be kept simple. And mm-hmm. when you have beautiful organic ingredients, there's not really much you have to do with it other than highlight what's naturally there. And that's where a trained palate comes to play. So with that said, what would you like to say to people who are listening who think, you know, from your background experience and you're like, oh, you know, I have been fine dining and I've done this and I've done that. And you're opening up a juice shop and they're like, uh, well, if you're a trained chef, why in the world did you choose juice? (laughs) Wow. Um... Yeah, I would say I always ask myself that too. You know, I don't, I don't know about you, but sometimes I also wonder, like, should I be in the kitchen cooking? <laughs> you know, um, but I absolutely love it. I think that it is so nice and clean. <laughs> it is uh, cooler than a kitchen, um, temperature-wise, and <laughs> I think that there's a lot to say. Uh, about raw flavors and totally and what beauty comes from each fruit and vegetable I mean it's insane like what kind of flavors can be combined to create something and 
I always, uh, I always go back to Chef, uh, Chef Mark at uh, culinary school. Shout out uh, to Chef Mark Molinaro. Yeah. Arlie and um, I both love you. <laughs> we think you're lovely. <laughs> Absolutely. What uh, such an amazing uh, he's mentor. A, he's a great guy. Yes. And uh, yeah, one of my favorite days, uh, one of my favorite classes was when he taught us about the five tastes. And yes, I talked about this in one of my first episodes. Yep. And that uh, I would say is probably what you need for every like cook out there is that's that's really the basic fundamentals of cooking is really understanding taste and And how to balance those flavors. Yeah. And what goes well together. Uh, Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of how I design my menu, how I create flavors. I constantly think about that. And I think that is that that's a true art, you know, to be able to, to really know what each product is giving you and how to, how to work with that and what to, how to enhance that and how to bring it to even more of a unique flavor, like creating your own taste and flavor with what it already brings to the table. I think that's the best part. I totally agree. And just to add to the question I asked you, you know, for me, it's more of like, why in the world are you questioning what I decide to do when it doesn't matter if I decide to make juice? It doesn't matter if I decide to flip quesadillas. It doesn't matter if I do hot dogs. You Mm -hmm. know, if you're a trained chef, you can make any simple or convenient food high quality. And that's Mm -hmm. where the true skill comes into play. Let's say you're making hot dogs. Who's to say you can't make your own encasings and, you know, you're sourcing your local pork or beef and you are deciding what, you know, things. Pink curing, right, exactly. Yeah. Pink curing salt that goes into the the encasing, and and are you smoking them? Are you you know are you doing a a quick dry cure? You can do whatever fancy black garlic aioli with pickled mustard mm-hmm. seeds and whatever the heck you want to do. I mean, like you can make the simplest of foods three Michelin star quality, and it has been done before. And mm-hmm. so I guess I was trying to emphasize how I stand up for people like you, Arlie, who decide to do something so raw and beautiful. You know, the truth of the matter is it takes a lot more skill to take something naturally from the earth and to have a trained palate and an understanding for that and to just beautifully accent it by adding flavor combinations, a little bit of salt maybe to balance the flavors, more acid of this, and it's just a process. Honestly, shame on you if you think that someone like Arlie or all the other people out there who are, you know, have a very intense culinary background who are doing something that you think isn't worthy of their, their resume. Well, you're wrong. Think again. And before you judge someone or a chef based on their experience for what they're deciding to make their business or their career out of. Um, I went off on a rant there, but yeah, well said. So Arlie, back to business. How did you start with the recipe testing process? Did you start juicing with a juicer or did you do fresh pressed or how, 
what was that whole process? Yeah. So on the food truck, I started with a very simple menu. I had about six juices and six smoothies and that's it. Um, that's how I started. I think I threw in like wheatgrass shots too, <laughs> but I love simple. Yeah. Let me just add I mean, something really mm-hmm. quick, Arlie. I will tell you right now, I think simple is the best. If I go to a restaurant and they have a three-page menu, a two-page menu, or even a one-page menu, large menu with small print front and back, I already know what type of food I'm getting. It's mm-hmm. like focus on a few dishes and perfect them. And that's all you'll need. So Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of uh, what I pride myself on is my menu. It is very simple. I, I used to hate walking into juice bars or smoothie bars and just being overwhelmed by the menu. I mean, give me like at least 10 minutes to read over this thing because <laughs> exactly. you're standing there in line and they ask you what you want. And it's like, wait oh a second, my gosh. I got to look through it, all this. It's hilarious. You walk in and like the moment they're like, oh, hi, what can I get for you? Um, Hello, I'm going to need <laughs> at least an hour. I'm going to, you know... Give me a magnifying glass, please, and uh, I'll be able to tell you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I really wanted to keep it simple. Also, for my sake and my employees' sake, because when it gets too complicated, that's just a lot going on, and it's already overwhelming. So just to try to make it a little easy, <laughs> uh, have you know, just have a simple, simpler menu. So yeah, I started with. Um, just juices and smoothies. And I created them literally uh, with a small, tiny juicer at my house. And that's how I created the recipes. So when I got the big, fresh juicer, um, I was able to mimic what I was doing with just a little bit like of a larger yield. And it, it was incredible. So There are two different types of juicing methods. There is the centrifugal uh, juicer, which I associate to fresh juice. Um, And then there's the uh, masticating type of juicer, which is going to result in a cold press juice. Um, Big difference. Mm -hmm. Yep. So the the fresh juicing, the centrifugal, uh, the reason why it's called centrifugal is because the blade inside this juicer is spinning and around and around. So as you're pushing the celery through or the cucumbers through, as you're pushing it into this blade, it's whipping around, chopping it up. And because of that speed, it's able to extract the juice through like a a net, like a basket with all tiny little holes Mm -hmm. in it to filter all the pulp. And the pulp is light because it's not heavy anymore. All of the heavy juice and liquid was just extracted from it. So the speed of that blade is now going to whip that pulp out to the side into like an exiting arm (laughs) that goes into a trash can with all your juice pulp. And then that liquid will just like weigh down into the juicer and pour out of the spout. Right. And so it's a really neat engineering mech. I mean, it's beautiful. The it whole is. Juicing. It's so cool. And it's remarkable. Wouldn't you say mm-hmm. that's like the most common in like a household? 
Yes, uh, most juicers people have at home are, is that kind of juicer. Uh, if you go into a grocery store, like typically uh, classic Whole Foods, that's what they have right there for you to make to order. Um, that is the kind of juice where you would go in, tell them what you want, and they make it right then and there. Uh, that's how I used to juice at Juice Wave. That's what we did for probably the first three years of the company. And when I started to learn more and more about cold pressing, um, I started to realize that I'm, I'm kind of missing out because cold press juice is superior beyond measures compared to the fresh juice. How so? And the, the reason why is when that fresh juice is being made, that blade is spinning really fast. And that speed going on for a long period of time is starting to create a little bit of heat. Right. And we're not talking boiling point, <laughs> but we're talking enough heat that's going to change, you know, the temperature of the juice and actually aerate it even more because you're changing the temperature um, that the oxygen is getting hit with it. And as that juice flows and gets into your container, the nutrients uh, in that juice, that liquid, is starting to deplete um, at a faster pace than the cold press process. Uh, the reason why is the cold press process is done in a way where there's minimal heat applied to the liquid. Uh, the process is more of a masticating. It's almost crushing up the fruits and vegetables without applying heat, without applying extra oxygen to the liquid, which ultimately is going to produce a more nutrient-dense liquid. The enzymes and nutrients are going to be way more intact than uh, compared to a fresh juice. And that, that's crazy. And with that, when you put that cold pressed juice in a bottle, it can stand on the shelf for longer. Um, I tell my customers that my juice holds about five days. Uh, every juice bar is different. Um, but that is, in my opinion, for flavor, uh, how long it can last, but also the nutrient level. So if someone were to come in and ask me, you know, how many days is this going to last? And I say five days, you know, on that fifth day, when you drink it, it's not going to be as nutrient dense as day one, but there'll still be plenty of nutrients in the juice. Now, if we were to compare that to a fresh juice, that fresh juice, the moment it comes out of that juicer, they say, experts, scientists say, that you have about 10 to 15 minutes to drink that juice and absorb all of its nutrients before all the nutrients are pretty much dissipated. Oh my gosh. That's so insane. If you were to take a fresh juice from a grocery store or from a juice bar that made it right there for you and you brought it home and you put it in the fridge and you drink it the next morning, it's not like you're going to get sick. It's not like you're, um, you know, not benefiting at all. 
but you're not benefiting as much as you could be if you were to drink a juice that was cold pressed. Does that make sense? That makes complete sense. You're, you're blowing my mind. These are things <laughs> I did not know. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, that's, you- and, and that's, I'm going to tell you, that's the hardest part is when I have a customer who walks in and they don't know the difference and they don't want to know the difference. They know what they like and they just want their fresh juice. And I tell them, you know, I'm sorry, I don't do fresh juice anymore. I have my bottles in the case. You know, I pressed those yesterday. I can guarantee you they taste great. They're nutrient dense. And they will look at me and just kind of, you know, make a, a, a remark and walk out. And, you wow. know, those, that happens a lot in the industry. And, it, and it's frustrating. But I can understand because like everybody, we are creatures of habit. Mm-hmm. And we like what we like. And if someone isn't, you know, open to hearing me out and help me extend and listen to me, explain to them why this juice in my glass bottle is going to be better than a fresh, uh, you know, if they don't want to listen, they don't want to listen, but it's hard because it's hard for people to look at a liquid in a bottle in a fridge and think that that's going to be better than something freshly made. I mean, think about it, like fresh orange juice, nothing can compare to freshly squeezed orange juice, right? But when I, you know, explain to you like this kale, cucumber, celery pressed in a cold press machine is actually going to be better for you nutrient wise, you know, that's the tough, like, I think that that's what I'm fighting against is that. Uh, reputation of people wanting something freshly made right in front of their face. Uh, That way they know how it was made. They know what went into it. So that's the tough part that I I feel like I I struggle with. You know what, Arlie, all it has to do with is education. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've been proven through these COVID times that people adapt you know, we don't, we don't like what's happening, but we, we adapt because we have to. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if people have the education or a better understanding of, you know, hey, this thing that is being juiced fresh in front of your face is not as nutrient dense and as good for you and as flavorful as what's in the fridge in a bottle. Like, I think they would be more apt to um, changing their, their mind frame. But that's, Mm -hmm. wouldn't you say that's like the whole struggle? Like, how do we educate these people? You know, because you try to do it, you have like a short window frame when these people come in, they're like, do you juice fresh juice? And you're like, "Uh, no, because what's in the fridge is better for you. And they're like, no, I'm not interested. Like, oh my gosh. How is it? Like, how happens about once, maybe sometimes twice a week. Wow. Yeah. But, you know, again, I have to accept that everyone is on their own journey with health. And so was, so am I, so are you, we all are, you know, on the spectrum. And unless you want to learn more and you want to find out how you can do your, or how you can have a better healthy lifestyle, you're going to be stuck in your way. And that's fine. Um, and and I have to practice letting that go. I can't help everybody. And that's been a struggle as a business owner, because like, you know, being in the food industry, I just want to serve. I want to make food for people. 
I want people to be happy. Yeah. And I, I just, I want to give them everything I can. We're and givers. When, yeah, absolutely. And when someone comes in and doesn't want to take what I want to give them, that is hard, but I've learned you just can't take it personal. And when they, you know, figure out later down the road in their, on their journey to healthy living, then maybe I'll get them when they hit that point. I don't know. But that's the thing is, uh, it's just going to take time for people to understand and learn more and more about it. Yeah, Arlie, that's definitely the biggest thing. It's like, everyone has their own individual journey. And it's like, we just kind of have to wait on them, you know, just like we can't, we can't change everybody. It's not our responsibility, but we, we care so much that we want to. And when you're in business, you just can't take things personally. You Mm -hmm. can't because it's going to destroy you. It's going to run you down to the ground and you will fail. Yes. So it's just an interesting thing we have to experience. We all have to experience being offended or, you know, we put our hearts, minds, and souls into our concepts and our products to help people. And then when it's not received, it's like a dagger in the heart. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, it is hard to not take personal because it is um, something that you've uh, created and you put everything into. But um, I think that's also what just kind of gives you a little like tougher skin too, you know, totally agree. Over time. Yep. yep. And you can tolerate more and then you can grow. (laughs) So Arlie, um, let's kind of ask a happier question here. What menu items are you proudest of creating? Whoa, what a cool question. Wow. (laughs) You may have just stumped me. Uh, (laughs) Didn't prepare you for that one. (laughs) Wow. What menu item am I most proud of? You know... This is going to be fun to talk about. So as I said before, I started the food truck first and the concept was juices and smoothies and, Mm -hmm. you know, shots. Uh, As I was in the groove, I'd probably say about year two, uh, that's when the acai craze just spiked. I mean, it, the acai bowl just blew up and what year was that i would say like 2015 2016 oh my gosh that makes so much sense yeah i mean it had been i remember the acai bowls had been around but i would say right around there is when it just blew up it just took it just it just went out of control and everywhere has an acai bowl. Every single place has their version. And, you know, I was getting pressured from customers, employees, uh, everyone was just saying, hey, do you have an acai bowl or, or do you have, you know, some kind of fruit bowl? And I just thought, no, I'm not doing this. Like, I am very... Uh, I'm very strong when it comes to not wanting to do what everyone else is doing. Right. Uh, You're I do a rebel not, for the cause. Yes, yes. I do not like jumping on that bandwagon. Um, I like being uh, different. <laughs> so You are that. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I strive every day. Um, but I would say the acai bowl was my nemesis. And I, <laughs> I finally decided that if I was going to do this, 
I was gonna start making an acai bowl at Juice Wave, that it was gonna be the best damn acai bowl. Yeah, baby. Anyone has ever seen. <laughs> As I was so tired of everyone asking for it. And I was also, you know, trying a lot of them around and not being pleased. That, yeah, not being yep. that stoked about it. I think that's yep. why I was kind of not about it. Uh, so it was kind of neat again, back to, you know, things being meant to be in the moment. Uh, my food truck, I had to move out of the commissary that I was in. And when I moved out into another commissary, which is a place where the food truck has to be kind of parked and regulated by the city. Yep. And just park the food truck in your backyard kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, this, uh, this new commissary that I moved into happened to have a acai distributor, like a company. And I walked into their office and I introduced myself and I asked them if I could try their, their acai and they were very eager to give me samples. I tried their sorbet and I was very, very pleasantly surprised. Like I, I was very like shocked that I liked it that much. Um, Cause all the other acai I had had prior was just garbage. Um, so I, I thought to myself, okay, I can work with this, you know? So totally. started thinking about how am I going to develop this bowl? You know, looking at how everyone else does it. Uh, it's got to have the simple ingredients where you got to have that, that granola. You got to have some fresh fruit, maybe some honey drizzle. And that's kind of how I started building mine. Um, and again, I really wanted to focus on local uh, so I went out, found a local granola company. I went out, found a local honey uh, company. I mean, everything from the, the strawberries, uh, the honey, the granola, even the peanut butter, I found a local distributor. I mean, it was really fun getting to meet these all, also small business owners trying to make it and me proudly using their product in something that I could be you know, proud of selling. And Mm -hmm. so that's how the acai bowl started. And over the years, I feel like I have just been perfecting it year after year. And I can proudly say that it's 2020. I'm in year six of Juice Wave. And uh, my acai bowl is my most popular item. And I now make the granola in-house myself. I make peanut butter and almond butter in-house. Wow. And uh, the fruit toppings, we've got banana. We've got locally grown strawberries, just about 45 minutes north of me. We got local honey from a family farm. And I usually play with some kind of extra third topping where it can be anything from passion fruit to peach, plum, kiwi, pomegranate. It's really whatever I like to showcase that's in season. And that's where I think my creative side gets to come in because it's something that I can change and my customers get excited about so that it's not always the same thing every time. Um, And then I top it off with a little hemp seed And I found a farm in Boulder, Colorado, which was the first farm in the U.S. 
to distribute hemp seeds because it's now legal to grow cannabis. So I'm proud to, to use a local or not local, but a U.S. farm because before hemp seeds uh, were really coming from Canada. Wow. That is so that is I've so really cool. de- Yeah, I've just kind of deconstructed it for you. But my acai bowl is very, very special. And I think that that is what I'm most known for. And I think that's what I, people keep coming back for. And I, I think that's what I get most excited for. And to be honest with you, Erica, you know, uh, cooking food is one thing, but then creating and being artistic. Totally. You can't getting, teach it, girl. Yeah. And getting to, getting to prepare an acai bowl is literally like painting a, can- a blank oh, canvas every time. Speaking my language. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. I love it. You know, I'm on your website and I'm searching through your photos and I see your acai bowls and like, they look incredible. They look truly, specially handcrafted. And I I don't know, like I'm getting ready to book a ticket just so I can come and try (laughs) one right now. Hell yeah, (laughs) you should. Dude, I'm serious. So Arlie, I just think that it's been a super cool process for you, I'm guessing, to not only develop these close relationships with the local farmers, local organic farmers, but starting to understand what fruits and veggies are in season and when. Cucumbers and carrots are stronger and juicier and when apples or pears are crispier and sweeter. And do you think that your your product knowledge has grown from that perspective and... And is that how you know when to change seasonal ingredients on your menu? Absolutely, 100%. Like, I love that you're talking about this because I love getting to tell people, you know, today I'm going to get to showcase some of these delicious blood oranges. Like Here in San Diego, a lot of times people assume we don't really have seasons, but we do. Uh, They are obviously not as extreme and drastic as the rest of the country. But we do have a winter, uh, spring, summer, and fall. And what's really cool is like citrus, for example, in the wintertime here in San Diego, it's when citrus is thriving. And it's such a beautiful thing. I mean, Mm -hmm. you you see all the tangerines, the uh, kumquats, the clementines. I mean, you got beautiful cara cara oranges, uh, blood oranges, grapefruit. Um, It's amazing i love it and i've got a great uh citrus farm that i've been working with since i started juice wave six years ago you and, can give them a shout out oh Polito farms i mean they are fantastic i think they have some of the best citrus in southern california um i mean all the farms i've been working with since day one uh i know them so well I, you know i text them usually the nights before the farmer's market and say hey can i throw on another case of cucumbers <laughs> Uh, or another case of this and so I think I love it Um, I love going to the farmers markets and and seeing them it's my favorite thing it's like a ritual Um, and honestly my chef at Quince uh, chef Michael Tusk was the one who who really inspired me with that and he goes you know personally to the farmers market every week Um, and if he can't make it he makes sure he makes sure he sends someone to go and it's such an event, you know what I mean? Like it, it is, it's just so honored and the chefs love it. They go early. It's just like, you know, when you watch those documentaries of the sushi chefs, when they get to the fish market 
at the crack of dawn when literally the fishermen are bringing the fish off the boat. I mean, it's the best part to get to the market before everyone's setting up and to greet your farmer, to be greeted by your farmer and, you know, just get excited. I mean, when figs come in, it's like, hell yeah, it's big time, you know, or when the pomegranates are in, it's like, I'm texting my farmer, like, are they in yet? Or how much longer do I have to wait? And that's so I'm just, cool. I'm so pumped. And like, it's the best part. Uh, I think for me, um, I think one of my biggest, uh, like life-changing moments was, um, when I was in college, I was working at a restaurant, one of the first restaurants I worked at. And, uh, my chef was, was a great mentor. I walked up to him one day and I asked him, you know, what do you do when you, you're just sick of it? Like when it's just monotonous and you're doing it Mm -hmm. every day, the same old routine, what do you do? Like, how do you stay motivated? And I'll never forget, he told me, he says, you just have to find a way, whether it's looking up a new recipe or, you know, getting excited about a new ingredient. You know, it, it's, it's as a chef, it does, it does get sometimes really monotonous and very, repetitive. Very. But that's why I really focus on the seasonal changes in the food because that's when I get excited, you know. Uh, that's another topic that's that doesn't get talked about much is you know there's a lot of produce at the grocery store that's available all year round i was just gonna say that that's not what it's like yeah and that's when again education comes in you go to a farmer's market and i go every week and for the last six years i know what to expect around what time of year and i know which farmer is going to have it And that's when I get stoked because each season brings beautiful produce. I mean, summertime, we get our stone fruit, peaches, nectarines, plums, crazy like hybrids of apriums and pluots. I mean, it's just beautiful food. And this is their time to shine. Being a chef, I feel like it is my sole duty and my privilege to get to take this food that's being showcased in its height of season And for me to get to share that with everybody and to give that produce its, you know, rightful position on the front stage. Like, I just feel like when you're in the kitchen, we're on show and I feel like the food is too. And it's our job to put it in the right place, to cut it the right way, to position it on the plate or the bowl the way it should be for it to just be appreciated and enjoyed at its fullest. Arlie, you you do, do you do all organic? Uh, Yeah. So I get this question a lot. uh, You know, is your produce organic? Is your juice organic? And that's a, it's a really tough topic to talk about because unless people want to listen and be enlightened by the craziness of this word and what it's done to our society, um, then hopefully they'll, they'll realize that this word doesn't always mean that it's like the best product. Uh, and what I mean by that is I have a couple farms, like I mentioned earlier, that I have been working with since day one and they are not certified organic because they are so small and 
they are already working as hard as they can to make ends meet, that they can't afford the application, the certificates, all of the, the money needed to get that stamp of uh, certified organic. And this is a farm that has been farming for years and generations, generations, and they farm organically. If you, if you look at their practices, everything they do is organic. They're not using any genetically modified organisms. They're not uh, spraying any types of pesticides. They are following the practices that are set up to have you know, the guidelines of what organic would represent. They just can't afford that certificate. And I didn't quite understand that until I myself went on the path to get my juice certified organic. And that's when I really found out everything, the truth of what's going on here. Because while it's a, a certificate and a label that holds standards and makes sure that people are following those standards, which is important, it's also very difficult to use products that don't have that certification, but are still practicing, you know, safe uh, farming techniques and things like that. Mm -hmm. Basically, uh, when I tried to apply to be certified organic, and they found out that one of my farms wasn't certified organic and that I wouldn't be able to be certified organic unless all of the produce is certified organic. That's when I started to think, well, geez, just because this family farm can't afford it, I'm, I'm going to keep supporting them. I'm not going to do this. This is wrong. Wow. That's crazy. I'm, I'm doing the right thing. I'm supporting local and they're, I know their farming practices. I've seen their farm. I know, you know, who's worked in the fields for them to not go that route to get that certification. And that like enables me to not be able to get my certification. That's, that's a problem. And I want to, I want people, I want people to know about it. I don't want to, you know, leave that farm and find a certified organic farm because that's not the right thing to do. Um, So I backed away from that and I decided to try to voice out to people that just because it's certified organic doesn't necessarily mean that it tastes good. Doesn't necessarily mean that it's a small family farm that's, you know, growing it. You have a lot of factory farms that have a lot of money and investments that have changed over their system to comply to certified organic requirements and standards and therefore they do that because now they can charge more and that's where i just crossed the like i was like no i'm not i'm not doing that this is already an expensive you know commodity i'm not trying to make it more expensive for my customers just because i want to have this label i would much rather educate people and explain to them and tell them exactly where my produce comes from so when you ask me, is my, my produce and my juice organic? I would say everything I use, if not from a local farm, then yes, it is certified organic. But I can't 
publicly say or advertise or market that my juice is organic because there are just two farms that I use that are not certified. Wow. That it's sad, Arlie. It's yeah. Well, you know, this word has now created the stigma. Exactly. And what's, what's crazy is that word holds so much power and words like fresh or natural have no meaning anymore. It's true. I mean, I know people who think organic. Oh, organic. You know, do you even know what that word means? You have grocery stores that sell organic food, but in order to have certified organic produce, get this, Arlie, and I'm sure you know this, but let's say you have organic Honeycrisp apples right next to commercial Honeycrisp apples. Let's say one of those commercial Honeycrisp apples touches an organic Honeycrisp apple. Guess what happens to those, that apple? <laughs> it's no longer organic. I guarantee you, you go to the grocery store and you think you're buying organic, but you don't think that has been cross-contaminated with other commercial produce. Think about human error. Think about when you go to the grocery store and you're picking your produce and your fruits and your vegetables and you're like picking it up and you're picking the other one up to make sure it's it's ripe and and it looks perfect because, you know, God forbid you buy something with, with a bruise on it. All the hands that have touched those and maybe have dropped it and it touched something that was not organic, guess what? You're not really getting what you paid for. You're not getting what you think is organic because the moment it touches something that's not organic, it has touched the chemicals. So I agree with you, Arlie. It is just a completely complicated, messed up word and system. Yeah, I think that juice bars that don't use organic produce should have to pay more for a label so that they can let their customers know that. Because when you drink a juice that's made from conventional produce that's been sprayed with chemicals and pesticides, you're putting those into your bloodstream faster when you drink a juice made with non-organic produce that's GMO or sprayed with pesticides. And that juice bar would use those, pro those products because it is cheaper and they can make more money off of it, but it's not good for your body. It's crazy, girl. Mm -hmm. I mean, what you just is- have to be, You just have to be more aware. And yeah. when people ask me, geez, well, because after I tell them all this, they, go, they say, geez, well, how do I know? How, how does anybody know what's right? And honestly, it is a struggle because there's a lot of BS all around us constantly so being much. fed. And so I would say the best thing that you can do for yourself is ask questions and ask the right questions. You know, when you go to that farmer's market, ask the farmer, hey, um, do you, you know, farm organically or, you know, do you use pesticides or, or, or do you use, you know, GMOs? Like, you know, these are the kinds of questions you want to ask. And that your farmer is going to tell you straight up. I mean, they should be proud to tell you how they farm. And that'll give you more of an idea of who you're buying your produce from. Uh, it's hard. You can't do that with everything because not everything is going to have, you know, a background checklist of what they're doing. But at least it, it'll give you some peace of mind as to wh where you're getting your food from. 
Right. You know, when I found all this out, I went to my organic farmer and kind of said like, hey, this is kind of messed up. This is crazy that you have to go through all this. And my organic farmer said, yeah, it is crazy, but you know that we're getting inspected and we're having these uh, people come in and search our entire operation to make sure that we are following this, the guidelines. And that's what that certified organic stamp represents. So part of me sees it from points of view where people are spending that extra money because they want to proudly say that they are, they are following these rules. You know, they are doing what is um, required by CCOF. And basically there are also companies that are doing it just so that they can charge more and they don't care that much about the practices. So again, it goes back to do your research, ask the questions, find out if your farmer or maybe this product that you're buying, is it truly organic? Does it need to be organic in order for it to be the best for you? Uh, I, I just think that the organic movement is a tricky one because without it, how would we know if a farm is handling their food safely and, and not using chemicals? Um, right. that's, that's the tough part. I think that you just have to kind of go and push away all of the crap and find the truth out by doing your own investigation and, and asking the questions to the farmer or to um, that company. And, you know, people try to take advantage of the system all the time. Mm -hmm. You're right. I mean, it comes down to the very thing we were talking about earlier. It's education. Education is so important. Mm -hmm. So do the research. And if you really care to better yourself as a human being and you want to help your carbon footprint, then you're going to be caring about these things. You're going to be doing the research and making the small steps to uh, being part of the solution and not part of the problem. Mm -hmm. But if you have questions, like just ask, you know, like that's the thing. Absolutely. I mean, I think that my proudest moment was when my mom called me and said that she researched and found the closest uh, creamery for her to go get her half and half for her coffee. It's awesome. I mean, like, I mean, yeah, that's it, so cool. It, it's the littlest things, Arlie, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's the littlest things. Yeah. Something else I wanted to throw in there that I, I'm really proud of is. Erica, you started this podcast talking about zero waste and that, that was one of your biggest concerns being in the kitchen and as is, as is one of mine too. And what I do every time I juice, uh, I take all of the juice pulp, which is very, very nutrient dense. It's basically all the fiber right. uh, from the juice and, or from the product. So I take that and I deliver it uh, to my farmer who is an animal farmer and they feed their, their animals and to, especially their hens and those hens, you know, eat up all of that yummy juice pulp. And then I actually buy the eggs from this farm and sell them at my shop. No to way. Try, to try to, to help tell people that there is a circle of life, that this is, you know, something that's important that we can contribute to you know uh, not everyone can compost at home because it's hard to but 
you know, finding some way to recycle your waste back into the community or back into your everyday life, it's so important. And that's one of my proudest, uh, you know, things I do at my shop. And I love telling my customers. And honestly, the eggs taste amazing because those hens are eating great. You know, they're grazing out there in the pasture and they're, uh, they're munching on some juice wave pulp. So I feel like the eggs have a, a better taste overall. And that reminds me of Chef Dan Barber's eggs from his chickens that he feeds dehydrated peppers to. I mean, they're, it's a bright red chicken feed and they eat it. And have you seen those, Arlie? Mm-mm. The eggs, the egg yolk is bright red. It's a crazy, wow. it looks like it's, yeah, it looks like it's from out of this world. But that just goes to show you, like, you are what you eat. Just do your best every day to take a step in and make the right decision. And that goes to even bringing your own bags to the grocery store and not using those stupid plastic bags end up in the ocean. Arlie, through all your ups and downs, would you have changed anything or... Would you have gone back and did something completely different? Boy, I think of that. I think about that a lot. I think that, you know, going back with the food truck, I, I may have wanted to do like a trailer so that I could, you know, unhitch it if I needed to go run and grab something to come back. Whereas the truck was something where if it was broke, I kind of got stuck where I was. Um, that would be one thing I, if I could change. But, you know, looking back at all of the crazy, crazy times where, you know, smoke was coming out of the truck and oh on the freeway gosh. or a flat tire before an event uh, or even just walking into the shop and, uh, you know, the fridge is busted, things like that, they happen. And I think that they're all just uh, forms of just testing my character and business is fragile and it's my job to guide it and I've made mistakes for sure plenty and plenty of mistakes but without those mistakes I wouldn't know any better so I, I think that exactly I think that yes I could definitely do things differently I could have saved a lot more money <laughs> in a lot of different areas um, but I don't think I'd be where I am today if that didn't happen so I'm grateful for for all the the many uh, failed attempts at things that I thought were going to be successes. But at the end of the day, I'm proud of what I've created. And I look forward to waking up every day and, and seeing where Juice Wave goes and, and where I can take it. What advice would you give to aspiring coffee shop owners, juicery owners, restaurant owners, or any food business for that matter? The best advice I can give you is... When shit's hitting the fan, <laughs> when, <laughs> when things feel like it's falling apart and there's no light at the end of the tunnel, uh, I would say that you need to be able to sit with yourself and really contemplate if this is something that you really want to do. And if it truly is, then you crawl, you scratch you find any way possible to find that light and keep going towards it because there are a lot of times where it can be very dark for a business owner and i think that 
those are the times that are the most crucial because that's when it comes down to whether you have what it takes. And I still uh, surprise myself and find out that I'm stronger than I was the day before. Wow. And you just have to keep going and to make sure that you have a very strong support system because I would definitely not be where I am today if I didn't have my family and friends and my wonderful customers expecting me to be, to, to show up, to, to be there and to have that belief that I can do this and to always be there for me. So that I think is the best uh, recipe to any successful company or whatever anybody's trying to pursue. All I have to say to my food explainers who are listening, if you live in the San Diego area or ever go to visit, please stop by the lovely Juice Wave. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, keep on juicing. <laughs> sipping on gin and wait, <laughs> sipping on zen, zen and juice. juice. <laughs> sipping on zen and juice laid back got my mind yeah. on my carrots and my carrots on my mind <laughs> <laughs> yes dude I love it. we gotta get snoop dog up in her okay. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> thanks so much arlie thank you erica so good to talk to you all right take care food splainers thank you again for tuning into this episode remember if you like what you hear please go and give a five-star review and leave a couple words. I would greatly appreciate it. And remember, you can always reach out to me.